0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nate Sampson, and we're going to talk about how he helps business owners create a legacy through the lens. Before we begin, I want to remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're ready to discover, share, and embrace your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do exactly that and create the tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions. Nate, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Hey, Zach, thanks for having me, man. Great podcast, great show. Glad to be a part of it. Man, I'm super stoked about it
0: because I think we got a lot of synergies. Uh, obviously, a lot of the stuff we do, we'll get a little bit of background on that here in a sec, but before we dive into the things we collaborate on, overall, I want to give the audience a little bit of an idea of who the heck you are, where you're admittedly a passionate, creative. You bring vision to purpose through the lens of cinematic storytelling, the businesses, organizations, and you develop content that connects and inspires all through your company, Social Pro Video. Beyond that, recently you joined my team in ATL Vets as a director of media relations, where you really help the, the passion, purpose-driven community in the veteran space and in the nonprofit space do the same thing, where you're really highlighting that legacy through a lens. And I really am excited to unpack that and all the different things we're collaborating on as a whole. But before we dive into that piece of it, why don't you tell the audience something funny about yourself that we just may not know about you? Something you may not know. Well, you personally
1: probably know more than I know about me at this point, right? Being the the tactical leader, Mr. Zach Knight. But no, I guess one thing that most people don't know, and I never lead with this, kind of a crazy fact, I was a chorus kid. I was a singer growing up in grade school and stuff. So I guess playing into sort of that creative pathway that my life went on, I guess maybe that goes into it, right? Embarrassing, fun fact. Oh, oh, that's a great fact. Vocalist. Yeah.
0: That's a great <laughs> so, fact. Now, why is that not on LinkedIn?
1: Can we have that like posted somewhere? Do you have any uh, videos anywhere? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, uh, we'll leave that there for now. little teaser, maybe for the future. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I hope
0: not. I hope not. Oh man. So that was growing up, man. And obviously what you've done over the years is pretty impressive. You, you've had a few companies. I know you grew up really focusing on audio video. Really editing different things and kind of were you like a full-on DJ were you the kid in your room like scratching the record or were you focused more on other types of audios where's your background there
1: no actually well initially I got into this is gonna sound really nerdy like sequencing edits like soundscapes and ambient sound design and experimenting with modulation and synthesis and stuff so really experimentation with sound is how I got into the editing world and then of course, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there was those unfortunate times where I was a singer, so I would record myself singing as well. So Having all that, you know, literally since I was like 15 years old, I got my first computer with the big cow on the side. I don't even remember, you know, what the name of it was. And I downloaded a program called Fruity Loops. And that's where it all began, man. That, that's where the big dive into editing and, you know, that real technical curiosity at the time, you know, as it were really it's brought me but yeah you know
0: what's funny is you're talking about this man there's a comedian theo von who's freaking hysterical i don't know if you know who he is but no no. oh man he's got like a mullet and kind of a country dude and he grew up singing in like choir in churches so you have this guy that's a little bit vulgar with his comedy now and then he shows these snippets of him like growing up in the church like singing and like choir tapping and like oh man it was phenomenal i just that's what i'm envisioning that's hilarious talking. yeah terrible but great all at the same time man. well
1: unfortunately the only comedic part about it is when i was actually singing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, so
0: you started there you started getting a little bit nerdy about audio and I know you as that super tech crazy dude. You got to have the good lights, the good camera, the good action. I mean, a lot that you're really focusing on through that higher craft. When you were growing up, is that something that as you moved from the teen years in the professional space, did you maintain that as as a job? Did you maintain interest in that or
1: was it more hobby-based? It was more hobby-based. You know, I I emancipated myself when I was 15. I had a full-time job at that point. I had to emancipate myself to get a worker's permit and I quit school. I was working 60 hours a week. So that was really my escape, my outlet, right? You know, as being, you know, kind of living on my own at 15 years old, you know, working 60 hours a week at Dairy Queen of all places, you know, but that was the thing that, that I keep, I've always went back to in my life. That's always interested me. And, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, I'm sure. But even then, you know, sort of the stuff I was crafting and talking about wasn't just for entertainment purposes. It was things that were personal to me. It was purposeful, you know, even then, you know.
0: Yeah. No, I have to ask, were you the guy turning the blizzards upside down? Was that a thing back then? at dairy Queen? Oh yeah. yeah spoon in, <laughs> and the, little,
1: the curl cue on the top and the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: awesome, man. I can just see you wearing that hat over there. You know, you have your social pro video hat on as you're scooping ice. Cream. Oh my God.
1: There's
0: like so much we're learning about your background, man. I, I love it. And,
1: they certainly made me where I had. I think I had like blue or green hair at the time, you know, not total nice. nonconformist and the whole thing, whatever. Nice. But, yeah. Man,
0: I love that. And as you were going up through, I mean, I started working, I moved out at 18, started working. I mean, I think there's a different dynamic back in, in that day, if you will, where I grew up working, right? So it's like, you grew up working, you know, a little bit different than the youth of today, where it seems like. You know, folks aren't really motivated to get out and work and hustle, but it sounds like that's been a big piece of your, your journey into business ownership. When you look all the way back into those early years of work, what was that first leadership position, that first role where you were able to start like leading people or supervising people or recognizing what that leadership impact could be in business?
1: Well, I guess the first official role was in my early 20s. The thing about me is, is everything that I've ever done in my entire life, I've taken a leadership role on as if, you know, even when I was working at the Dairy Queen, I was going to make the best damn peanut buster parfait that anyone could ever have. And I'll never forget, you know, this old 90-year-old lady taught me how to make biscuits. I used to go in at 5 a.m. and learn how to make biscuits with this 90-year-old lady at the Dairy Queen, right? And uh, I'll never forget this, man, This it was in Northeast Georgia, This this big country, you know, just hillbilly type guy, you know, he said, he came back up the counter after I made one of his biscuits one morning. He said, you know, I come here every morning and that, that kid in the back with that crazy hair makes the best damn biscuit I ever had. (laughs) And I'll never forget that. Like, and I was like, cool. You know, he saw beyond, you know, all the BS or whatever, you know, and as being kind of a, I guess I was sort of a nomad at that time, you know, no real family or anything. That was like the coolest compliment. Someone that saw and respected my work. And I think, you know, through my work has really really began my my applied into leadership. Always, you know, put forth what I would expect others to put forth for me first and foremost, you know.
0: I love that, man. And I know in entrepreneurship and business ownership, that's one of those things that is an impact piece, right? As you're taking that type of pride in your work, even from something as simple as making biscuits to making the blizzard that doesn't fall out of the cup, like Having that type of work ethic obviously pays really well into uh, everything you're doing with business ownership. And I know you've had a couple of different pieces of business from social pro video to a home inspection company. Talk to us a little bit about that entrepreneurial spirit. Where did that piece come from where you felt like that business ownership that sounds wonderful to a lot of people, and then all of a sudden we realize the ups and downs attached to it. What got you started as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, so I was working for a guy who had a couple of businesses for years. I think I started with him like back in 2007 or 2008. And he he was, for all intents and purposes, I would claim him as kind of a early mentor, not only of good things, but of also, you know, what the hell not to do in business. Because I learned a lot of mistakes that he made and saw over the years. I was his uh, basically major right hand, you know, in all things operational and marketing within his business as well. You know, all the media stuff. I was the guy that, understood that internet stuff, you know, that he certainly didn't have a grasp on at the time. So yeah, I guess that set the foundation, I guess, for me to start my first business. And just going through that and seeing that, you know, and constantly thinking, I think I was within the first three years that he was kind of mentoring me. I had already clicked in my head, like, hey, I'm going to have my own business. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to be in business for myself. And as as you so eloquently stated, a lot of times it, it's a lot cooler to say than to actually be in and do right. So yeah, started a home inspection business from that because I'm always hyper interested in real estate and that kind of thing. I'm not a salesman, so I never poised myself as ever wanting to have anything to do with being in real estate sales. Mm-hmm. However, the I got into that business because I wanted to be a a uh, real estate investor, so that was like me trusting my own eyes. I'm like, okay, I want to learn everything there is to know about, you know, systems dynamics of a home, the whole deal. So anyway, long story short, I was in that business for over over five years, successful in the business, but it was still a job. I still didn't feel like a business owner. I'd made some, you know, miscalculations or whatever, and really could not come up with a viable way that I really was impassioned to scale that the way I needed to, you know.
0: So let's talk about a little bit about those bumps and bruises that we always get along the way and the real estate world, even the investing, the inspecting side in the last couple of years has been mayhem, I think, to put lightly as a whole. What's one of those things that you recognized early on that was like an obstacle that looking back, it was one of those like, ah, oh, man, you, you got to overcome it, but it's a really big frustration point. And looking back at it, you thought is
1: you know, now you realize there's a great learning opportunity for you. Well, I'll go back to how I got into the inspection business and decided that was going to be, you know, my full dive in into the business world. So my wife and I had bought a brand new construction townhome in Woodstock, Georgia, this was several years ago. And of course we didn't get an inspection. It's a brand new home, right? Who cares? We don't have to have an inspection. Nothing can be wrong with something that's brand new. Well, wrong, (laughs) there was plenty wrong with the house and The challenge was on us as the homeowners because, you know, subcontractors, the contractors, the builders, the appliance manufacturers, everyone's kicking the ball back and forth. There's no accountability whatsoever. I don't believe in business like that. And it really, frankly, it pissed me off and fired me up to do something about it. So I learned about this little book, you know, that's only about four inches thick called the International Residential Code. And. Started digging, sinking my teeth in, digging in, and finding the formulations and different forums of a new industry I did not previously know about called home inspectors. So I started getting information, collecting all this stuff and set formalized paperwork. Long long story short, they took care of all of our problems, but then our neighbors had issues. I had a little 76-year-old neighbor that came over and we were talking one day and she was talking about stuff she was having wrong with her house. And I said, well, you know what I did? let me help you. So I started to, I did that probably five times over in that same neighborhood for different neighbors. And I said, okay, I've got something here. These people are actually doing what they should do because of the documentation and, and all the things that I'm providing to get the ball rolling. And it empowered me. It made me feel good. And I'm like, man, if this happened this much in my own neighborhood, how much is this happening everywhere else? So I set out on a mission. I said, I'm going to change the industry. I'm going to, you know, provide an elevated level of service and nothing's going to get past me and all this thing. And if you know anything about Georgia real estate market, being the best home inspector in the industry is not exactly going to win you a lot of friends in the real estate business. So long story short. Anyway, and, and it was really amazing because probably 65% or more of my business was from mouth referrals of previous clients. And I sustained that business for nearly five years before I decided to really take a dive into something that that I was uh, creatively passionate about as well, so. I think it's an
0: interesting thing to highlight here where you recognize the gap in the market, right? Like the true entrepreneurial spirit and plight is there's a gap in the market and I can fix it, right? No different than why I have so many companies, like it's one of those, let me start a company because I see an issue here and let's fix it, right? which can be great, but also, like you said, doesn't necessarily win, always win you over the friends of people, depending on oh, how you're doing it. Right. And when you're doing a right job with the integrity attached to it, right? Like I think in real estate, maybe a, hey, don't notate that one little thing there becomes an in the inspection space a little oh, bit easier to kind grease over.
1: I mean, I imagine a lot of people who are in the industry would not be surprised at this, but- you may be amazed at how many, and never mention names or anything, but how many people I just would not work with or didn't have availability before, before because they had just flat out asked, like, hey, this is the property. We're going to say A, B, C, and D, and we're not going to say E, F, G. And I said, well, that's not my service. You got the wrong guy. Like, it's not going to happen because my, you know, again, as even in my current business, and even when I'm making the biscuit for that guy, you know, when I'm 15, who's, who he probably. Thought I was the dumbest on the wrong path kid he'd ever seen in his life. You know, I still wanted to do my duty, my service to clients. And that's what it goes back to. But
0: yeah, so you weren't spending the biscuits as extra flavor for no, the guy. no, no. I
1: mean, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. My whole life, I've always been killing with kindness, you know, just do good, do good, put good out there. And I believe that good comes back. I mean, I'm older and I have no room for any, you know, hostilities or anything any longer, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really important piece to recognize as you've shifted now, you recognize another gap in the market. You recognize different pieces with Social Pro Video where there's a huge gap of people able to tell their story eloquently, effectively, but beyond that, capturing the story. And I know on on Tactical Friday, we're going to talk a little bit about your tips as an individual capture, maybe a little bit better, but as a whole, recognizing there, there are certain things that people fail at miserably when it comes to capturing the storytelling cinematic quality where the dirty phone screen or the dirty lens or the shaky, what is the dang, uh, extendo arm thing, the selfie stick, right? So terrible, right? So many things that kind of make you laugh, but you recognize this gap in the market where you felt like you could solve that piece. Tell us a little bit about Social Pro Video. What is the
1: nuts and bolts of the company as a whole? So lead with passion, lead with purpose. That's what I set out to do with social pro video as well, you know, and I think the biggest with social pro videos that I found that the same things were happening in this market as the real estate market, as other markets. I mean, I've seen, you know, individuals, small business owners, entrepreneurs get taken and just basically taken to the cleaners, really taken advantage of, you know, buying you know, not to put anyone down, but by, uh, frankly, others in the video industry, you know, and I don't like how it's being run. I don't like what people are offering, what they're doing. And I, I think, again, it goes back to service. Now, couple that with the whole geeky, geeked out tech side of, hey, I want the best, greatest visual and auditory representation that I can get. And it's a formula for success, you know, and pile on top of that, a third dimension of having... Something that's purposeful. I mean, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're a 501c3 founder, whatever it is, I believe everybody does something for a reason, for a purpose. I don't think that someone just sells insurance to sell insurance. There there are those out there, but those are not really the ones who are really dug into what they're doing. So, you know, my clients are the ones who understand their passion, their purpose behind that. And it's my duty to showcase that in a digestible, super high-quality format.
0: I think that's the piece that I really love about what you're doing because it's something that we need to highlight attached to digestible piece because digestible could be, in a lot of marketing, video marketing, it could be 30 seconds, 7 seconds, right? But the reality of it is there's so much more to that word of digestible when it comes to, especially storytelling, you know, the video, the quality, that piece is amazing, but also being able to recognize, like, how to craft the story, how to get in front of the camera and say X, Y, and Z, or tell the story eloquently. As veterans, I know a lot of us struggle getting in front of the camera. Yelling yell at me all the time, I need to be on camera more, right? So we struggle getting on camera, but even as small business owners, there's another capacity attached to that where usually there are two things that people hate the most about owning their own business, sales and marketing. And usually they intermingle the two and sometimes they kind of cross blend both of that. How do you help the client? How do you help the individual Craft that story and then help share it. Obviously, you capture it really well, but how do you help them craft that story?
1: Well, the strategy goes into the namesake. It's literally storytelling. And that's why I call myself a cinematic storyteller because I'm sitting down, we're strategizing, you know, generally during the production meeting, right? Before we go out to film and stuff, we're sitting down. And at that point, you know, I know I've gotten to know you well enough through the initial consultation that I have kind of a grasp on your direction where you want to go. So, that's the point where we're sitting down and really dissecting. Okay, what are the calls to action? What are the pieces? You know, just like a story, the namesake, the book. A book has chapters. A book has sections. Has volumes. Has segments. Your video should too. Your video should be. And to go back to that term, digestible. You should be able to have those pieces of information without being just. A, and and unfortunately, I've seen it with some other production companies. You know, an hour and a half worth of just. Technical and facts and figures and these things. And like, oh my God, who poor guys? I mean, great information, but who the hell is going to sit through all that and listen to that? Even people in the industry, you know, I've seen it in the real estate industry, these lunch and learns, and I'm just cringing. I'm like, man, I really, really like this guy. This is a cool guy. You know, he's a mortgage lender or whatever, but I'm like, please, you got to give them something that they're going to gravitate towards because I mean, I imagine educators have it the worst in trying to make learning dynamic and fun and different things for different people and that kind of thing. And, you know, a small part of that storytelling is is sort of bringing that education piece into it as well. Yeah, it's got to be digestible and it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be fun without, you know, necessarily, and as you mentioned, we'll talk about this later, without being, you know, it's got to be purposeful. In other words, I mean, there's a trick and a thing to all these kids getting, you know, millions and millions of views and likes and comments and stuff on their videos, but what the hell are they doing with it? I mean, where does it go? What's the intent? What's the impact? What's the purpose? You're an egg on tomorrow. I mean, it's, you know, way I look at it, but.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point with the intentionality, right? Recognizing why are you doing all this? And I think a lot of people, and even in in the podcasting space, I've seen it where people have like a hobby cast, right? It's not really, for me, this isn't a hobby cast. There is a lot of intentionality and overarching strategy attached to why I have a podcast and why it's at 400 episodes, right? That's where the longevity comes from. And you think about the storytelling across the years and the way this show's ebbed and flowed and shifted as my life or my businesses have shifted. I think it's a really interesting thing to kind of highlight the longevity of what you're doing in the storytelling format for a company, because we all know, like you you go back to 2018, the economy was booming, then COVID railroaded a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. And then coming out of COVID now, the lot of people, the, the good ones have shifted and survived. A lot of small businesses didn't survive, but you recognize like not to think about what is this video going to be about, right? What is the story I'm telling across? And maybe you don't know the end of the story. Maybe you don't know the final chapter. But in my mind, what you're saying is, look at how we can tell the story across the years. Let's not think about what we're doing today or tomorrow. Let's think about where do you want to go long-term. Maybe you don't know. You just know the trajectory. And let's tell the story along the way. I imagine that's what captivates an audience, right? The ebbs and flows,
1: the good, the bad, the ups and the downs, right? Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, it's like the old quote, you know, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey and highlighting that journey because that that destination, that end goal is going to change, particularly in business, it's going to change if they change daily in certain industries, right? But leaving that question open-ended, leaving that story open-ended, there doesn't have to be a finite chapter and a close to that. That is really what's going to keep your audience connected and engaged, leaving that question out there, right? I mean, in total agreement with
0: that. Yeah, I love that, man. That's definitely a piece I was gathering from what you're saying, because I think that's huge for people to realize the long-term strategy. If you want to be a business for a long time, you got to think bigger than, I don't know what video to post next week, right? You know, I think that's where you bring in a huge piece of value to the purpose-driven organizations, the small businesses. Beyond that, I'm really curious, as you're helping clients with this cinematic storytelling, you're putting all this into the world, you're putting yourself out there and telling your story. What's the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with all the amazing stuff you're putting into it?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, for me, it goes back to passion and purpose. It goes back to, you know, okay, you know, I'm going to be 40 years old in a couple of years. You know, I'm 38 years old. Poor wife just crossed that milestone. I give her hell about it. But anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> Ashley will bleep that out. I swear uh, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, edit and cut, run. But uh, the biggest legacy I want to leave and I think that any parent would want to leave is to instill good values, good ethics, good morals through their contribution in business, and society, and community, whatever that looks like. And all of the above with Social Pro Video. I'm involved in every bit of that with Social Pro Video. And that just sort of as a visual legacy, so to speak, for my daughter. And that's why it's the legacy through the lens, you know, because... It's not just about the legacy of my client or their plight and purpose. It's also this namesake, this company, this is my legacy, you know, to show my daughter what can be achieved, what can be done, particularly with someone who's been in my position in the past, you know, with literally not a place to stay, you know, when I was in my late teens. So that's the intent. That's the why, the purpose behind exactly why I've done everything that I do. But with this in particular, really getting it dialed in into something that can be my legacy, frankly.
0: I love it. And the cute little Emma monster, that hair right monster. Her, your emphasis your on
1: the monster. Yeah. Jeez.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're still trying to figure out who she takes after. We don't
1: really know quite yet. We don't think it's your wife. <laughs> we don't think it's right. She's certainly, know. you know, hey. come to think of, we talk about me sort of being a nonconformist. And I would say that she fits that ideology as well <laughs> at slightly. this point. <laughs> There's a point in her life,
0: right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Nate, I love it, man. It's amazing. There's huge impact uh, attached to what you're doing. And I love seeing it. If somebody wants to reach out to you and connect with you, find out more, and really see how they can work with you attached to
1: creating their story, what's the best way to reach out and connect with you? So, uh, one of the greatest ways to get in contact with me in the social space is through LinkedIn, obviously. I'm always open. I have a calendar that's linked onto my website, socialprovideo.com. And I'm always for having a conversation with people, even if even if it's your fact-finding mission for me and what I do in terms of storytelling. Even if you just want some advice, you know, some information, I'm that guy. We'll have a 20-minute conversation where it's about you. Let me help you, you know.
0: Yeah, I love it. I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, connect with nate Obviously, we'll have all that in the show notes. I think there's an, an amazing thing, you'll stuff you'll see on the website. You'll see me there, obviously, attached to some of the work we've done together. He's a
1: little further down the page. Way yeah, down. Yeah, As I'm page. like
0: scrolling and I'm like, man, I'm way down the page. But there, there's some amazing stuff that you've done on the website where you can really see that cinematic storytelling piece. And I really encourage everybody reach out, check it out, but also come back this Friday where we're going to dive into some of the tactics attached to more storytelling and in that cinematic quality. Overall, Nate, I appreciate you coming on today, my friend. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me, man. This has been fun. It's been a good time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.